You are now tuned into the Wake the Flock Up Network. When it comes to entertainment in Los Angeles, one production company has it on lock. Young Baca Productions. From a bi-monthly show at the Airliner in Los Angeles, to the many shows, to the B-Side Forum, to the State of Battle Rap on the B-SideChannel.com, Young Baca Productions are putting together the dopest entertainment in Los Angeles, California, and beyond. Check them out on Wait the Flock Up Send You, YoungBacaProductions.com. Welcome to Popular Nobody. Welcome to Popular Nobody. Welcome to Popular Nobody. What is this? Popular Nobody. We don't care if you're famous. Just make sure what you create is fly as fuck. Welcome to Popular Nobody. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls all around the world. My name is Ariano. And this is the Popular Nobody Podcast. January 8th. Welcome back to the show. You are now listening. To wake the flock up with Concept 714. And with me is the intern X taking pictures and J Rolls, our official music producer. And uh, before we get into our guest today, you know, we got a couple of bills we got to pay. Go to Amazon. You go to Amazon anyways, with Christmas coming up, right? Go to wakethefloc.net and you click on our Amazon banner. And we get a little chunk of change. It doesn't cost you any extra, but Amazon gives us a little bit of money, which is always good. Um, wakethefloc.up.net is where you're going to go. Check out interviews like this one. Interviews like Demrick. Oh, Locksmith. <clears throat> Just happened, Locksmith. I'm getting a lot of good responses from that. that. That was a super dope interview. Shout out to him. Locksmith, all right, the rugged man. Wax, our favorite. Um, who is coming back on because he just dropped a new album. So we're rearranging that and making that happen. And countless other people. You know what I'm saying? I get tired. You guys know. You you know who you know who to look for. Instagram and Twitter. The one thing we do ask is you tell a friend. The show's free. We don't charge you guys anything. Just tell a friend, hey, check out this dope podcast. You like hip hop, check this out. You like podcasts in general, just check it out. You know, and uh, um give us some love. And that's all it really takes. And that's the way you guys support us and it keeps us going. And uh the numbers are everything in this business, and our numbers are doing really well, but they could be doing, they can always be doing better. So it's up to you guys. Share the show, tell a friend, a coworker, neighbor, all that good stuff. We're here in beautiful San Diego. Is that right? San Diego. San Diego. That's where we are. Beautiful San Diego. <laughs> Foggy night. Foggy night. I thought I drove far to go talk to you in Sherman Oak. Right. Uh I drove even further down to but I got to say, I always said, it, if I'm going to move somewhere, San Diego's where I would move. I love this county. I love this city. I love the atmosphere. I love the, the beauty of it. San Diego. San Diego is one of the uh, 
San Diego is one of the few cities I can think of where it's like a vacation town. Like it really is a yeah. vacation town. This is where the rest of the world comes on vacation. But you can still have a real job here. Like if you're in any other vacation town, either you're working in a hotel or you're renting boogie boards on the beach or something like that. But here you could be, you know, a graphic designer or a banker or, you know, right. part of some real industry. Yet it's also a city where people go on vacation. I think because like uh, the atmosphere kind of lends itself to like artists and like those really just like mellowed down people. That's why it's like really vacation-y, like you said. Well, but I, it's also a hub of activity. It's one of the major cities in SoCal. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a huge it city. And but th- see, it's like you said, it's where beauty meets kind of like industrialized buildings and sections and stuff like that. I kind of like it because, like, where I'm from on the East Coast, uh-huh. especially the Northeast, you could uh, you could say. George Bush is responsible for everything bad in the world in the middle of any room. And everyone would be like, George Bush is responsible for everything bad in the world. And everyone would agree with you. And then when I lived in Texas, you could say like, Obama's a Kenyan Muslim communist that hates America. And everyone would be like, Obama is a Kenyan Kenyan communist Muslim that hates America. Everyone would agree with you. And like, the the thing I like about San Diego is you have this big military community plunked down right in the middle of hippy dippy tofu sprout eating tree hugging california and it's a lot it's a, like those those two other places like the south and the east coast they're really kind of you know they're 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 one way right. and it's like and people are very polarized there but here you have like you know a lot of the people in the military lean right and you know the hippy dippy tofu sprout eating folks lean left it's a lot easier, a lot more difficult to stay mad at someone and not get along with them if they're not your next door neighbor. Like, yeah. you know, it's so it's like, eh, they voted differently than me, but I, they loaned me their lawnmower the other day, and <laughs> they seem like really nice guys. Right. And, you know, it's like, and I think like when you have people that are different to you in your face, you learn more and you become a broader human being, and you you learn more about people and you become more accepting that you know like just because someone voted differently to you it doesn't make them an evil a-hole that hates the rest of america so like it's yeah i I like the fact that there's a there's a really sort of like diverse mix of people here and i think that that's a very very healthy thing when i see when i see diversity when i see how people treat each other in this town that's that sort of seems like a very healthy thing you are a very so let's introduce our guest we're finally finally (laughs) finally get a chance to talk to uh 80 roundtree yes uh, so as for you guys that don't know, the way it happened was that we interviewed Wax, yes. which was a great, fantastic time, great yes. interview. That would have been enough for me. But out of that interview, uh, don't and let me put words in your mouth. You said this podcast is fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah. Who is it? No, all of the above. Like it's true because <laughs> like I, I. So you heard the Wax interview. Yeah, I heard that. Like I, Wax tweeted out like, oh, I did this podcast. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I was like, wow, that was a really good interview. That was like. Howard Stern style interview where it's like an hour plus change and you really get into it and who the person is and their motivation for doing stuff and you really feel like you have a better sense of this person that you really kind of like are are into their music and I was like that was great and then I like I was like wow he's doing this with all these sort of like other indie hip-hop folks that you know like you just don't get this kind of interview this sort of like in-depth thing with with and what what I thought was interesting about it was like there were some people that I was really excited to hear the interview of you know like Ari the Rugged Man and Wax like oh 
hell yeah. You know, I'd like, you know, me and RA have the same lawyer, so I kind of knew who he was for a long time. <laughs> wow. But okay. like the uh, but, you know, I never really heard him sit down and talk about who right. he was and why he does things. And, you know, some of the drama that happened to him or uh, not so much drama. It's now become more a thing of legend. But some of the, you know, the, the the legendary drama that happened, you know, with him back in the day. And I never heard him tell those stories. And like here was this awesome forum where you like I really hadn't heard it outside of stuff like Mark Marin and and Howard Stern and I was like this is fantastic because whether it was Wax or RA or someone I'd never even heard of before like Peaky I was like this is awesome you make everybody interesting you you dig out a great story you dig a great story out of everybody it's only because I truly want to speak to them and I've been able to keep that going because I do the book right so if I had if if you know in the future uh I do want to be able to not handle things that I don't need to handle so that I can do other things mm. I do want to do. Yeah. Right. But the booking I feel is very important, specific, especially to this show, because it's honestly just people I've always wanted to talk to. Yeah. And if it's not them, it's artists that I am now interested in because throughout the years, you know, you pick up new music and you're like, oh, dude, this would be super dope. I love this guy. I, I want to talk to him. Or oh, this girl's really, she has bars or she's just really interesting point of life. I mm-hmm. want to be able to speak to her. So I honestly am fan of everyone that I talk to. You can tell when the interviewer is not fan of the interviewee. Right. A lot of interviews. Yeah. And the first thing is like, the one thing that really got to me was like, okay, you got to make it different. Don't write anything down. Because I, I, I don't know what these interviewers think when mm, they sit down and they have cards. Mm. What's on those cards? I don't understand how could you possibly know that you're going to be able to ask this question yeah. in the manner that you intended to ask it? You know, um, well, maybe maybe we should explain <laughs> beyond uh, how how uh, how we know each other and how this came to be before yeah, we okay, get into okay. it. So uh, you heard the interview? I did. Uh huh. Oh, I heard the interview. Yeah, and like, oh yeah, no, I, uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a radio guy. Yeah. Um, you know, used to be this punk rock kid in a band, and made, oh, and we'll get into that. Made, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Sort of made records, toured the world, and when that was over, realized that I have zero applicable life skills, and yeah. the only thing I can really do is continue to find a way to be a professional big mouth. So I wound up in radio, and like, I, I have this this syndicated talk show, and I was yeah. like, this guy's really good. Like, and I, I played played your stuff to my producer Funkhauser. I was like, this this podcast is really good. You know, it's very niche oriented, but it's also mass appeal because he's good at digging the stories out of people. I was like, this guy's good. So I just like I emailed you. I was like, hey, I like your podcast. And you're like, whatever. I was like, I really think it's great. I'm really enjoying it. I'm yeah. listening to them all. You're like, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Pretty dope. Yeah. And I was just like, That's what I do. would you like to maybe come and be on my show at some point? And like and so we, we had your you. people got a hold of my people. And yes. My people. And, you know, we politicked. And yeah, yeah. The price was right. The, right, yeah. Uh, uh, and the gas <laughs> prices I met were finally right for me to make it out there. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, so uh, you guys have heard me on uh, on the iHeart show. Yeah. Your show. Yeah. And uh, that's how it happened. So, uh, again, Wax's interview, I've been happy just with the interview, but because of what happened. Because it, of Wax, this. This romance. Yes. Between us. Well, and you know like, like you kind of like passionate. I, I don't want to reduce what you contributed by calling it sort of. And no offense to the interns in the room, I don't want to you know reduce what you did on our show by calling it an intern. But you just like you know like 
where where my talk show is produced out of is kind of like the Death Star. It's where yeah. all the you know Grand Dragons yeah. of talk radio hang out. It's yes. like it's you know where sort of folks like Rush Limbaugh are, are based out of, and where Glenn Beck's based out of, and Coast to Coast, and all these like really really big George radio Nori. shows. Yeah, Jeez. it's like right down the hall from George Norrie. So like um, when you got in there, like it. it I guess it seemed like a world you wanted to spend more time in. So we just had you come yeah. in and just hang out and be on the show. And like, yes. I remember thinking like, I was like, God, this guy's, this guy's got a real gift for this radio. Like not only is he good at like his lane that he does, but we could throw you on the microphone with us and like, be, Hey, this, this was an hour of good radio with a guy that you it know, was we've never met time. before. And a lot of the time you need like years to figure, you know, out what, you know, chemistry is and, and where, you know, to sit in the pocket. And like you did a really, stellar job at all of that so i'm i when uh when you rule the world and i'm asking you for a job i uh -huh. will have i will have been proud to have this much to do with your start it's, it's awesome i um, will chopper you in thank you to my private island to the cape that will be shaped as my face right <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then uh, alice next to it that will be shaped as a thumbs up <laughs> and i will chopper you into my jurassic park type island the compound you know? yeah <laughs> Everything will be concept themed. It'll just be like right, concept bride. Yeah. Uh, no, I cannot thank you enough. And this is why uh, once we finally got the opportunity to have you on the show, I wanted to do it because uh, I cannot thank you enough for that experience, for everything that I learned there. And uh, Funk also, Funkhauser. I mean, yes. just the, one of the most incredible, nicest, most noblest guy. I mean, mm -hmm. he knows he's good at what he does, yeah. but he doesn't brag about it he doesn't do it he's been doing it for over a decade 18 years or so yeah and he's the man he yeah. runs that he i've seen him do it yeah he runs that location yeah and having learned everything that i did under him mm -hmm. you know um was really like life-changing right. at this age i realized that uh we're very we're only young for such a small period of our lives right and then the rest of your life you're old and I'm not saying that you cannot have experiences when you're older. You will. But the experiences you do when you're younger, right, can kind of shape your life in the future. I'm starting to look at older dudes. Yeah. I look at guys, in the, like specifically guys in their 50s. Like when I talk to guys in their 50s and see what they're doing with their lives and see mm -hmm. like, you know, the ones that have been really like have been grinding away since they were kids, you know, like or, you know, when they were in their 20s and 30s and now they're in their 50s and they've really accomplished some stuff and they're out there, they're living life, they're making, you know, in their own world, they're, they're you know, they're doing really satisfying stuff and living life and I think it's like, the fifties you know, are the forties and fifties seem from the outside looking in seem pretty good. You know, it's like it, yeah. like I, and I never would, you never think that when you're 19 years old, you think that like everything will be over and done with, but I see these 50 year old guys doing awesome things and having a blast doing it and really kind of like being captains of industry and moving the ball forward on some truly great, awesome, artistically sound stuff that, you know, like they have earned the right to do through like 20, 30 years of hard work. But I think you're looking at exceptions. Okay. And this is what I mean by that. Like, um, I had a job yep. and I got promoted and it was good. It was awesome. I did not want to do that job. Right. That job wanted me to keep doing it. This was it. a, hold on, like, for, do people know what you used to do? Uh, it's, so, it's really cool, like very cloak yeah. and dagger. Like, you just, I, like, I, was a, I worked with private investigators. Yeah, private investigators. I myself did the background checks for uh -huh. the investigators. So the investigators would be like, hey, there's a case on this person. And we were specialized on uh, insurance fraud. So by the state of California, if you file an insurance claim with like 
Geico or Infinity or something. By law, you have to have an investigator follow you incognito uh-huh. around. Yeah. And the way it works is they're trying to catch you lying, saying, oh, I can't work anymore. I need $20,000. I, cr- I hurt my back. Okay. But th- if they then catch you playing basketball, right, they will take that tape yeah. and say, hey, you're lying. Drop the suit or we will counter suit. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. You made us waste money. You know? So- yeah. That's what happened. And what I you did the- not realize was that Concept 714 right. followed you to your tap dancing recital. <laughs> Dude, it'd be like, oh, uh, my knee's no good. Okay. And then they'll be like um, uh, moving their furniture into like a truck or playing basketball or whatever. There's, you know, you catch. But the way that I would do is they would give me like their name or social security number. And I would literally give them a report with everything. Uh-huh. Social media, bank accounts, and then. Um, you're under the <clears throat> insurance and guidance and restrictions of the government with certain licenses and all this shit. Sounds super dope. It was a really good job. I didn't want to do it. It wasn't until I was about 28, I said my, I told myself, if in two years you have not accomplished anything in hip-hop, right? Because at 28, you're getting old. Eminem was like 21 when he dropped his first major single, major album with Drake. Was he? No, he was older than that. He was Maybe twenty three. Like, I think he was like twenty five, twenty six. Eminem's like older than we think. Yeah, he's like forty two, forty three now. I, like, so he did infinite been... before Dre. He okay, did infinite. Yeah, yeah, no, he did. Yeah, okay. You're so right. with that one, it might he might have been like twenty one, twenty two max. Right. But that one got him enough to where Dre heard it and was like, "Yo, this is dope." But what I'm saying is, your mid, your twenties is the age to strike in hip hop, right? At 28, I'm already leaving my 20s. Right. And I'm thinking, I haven't done anything as an MC, right? And it's because life got in the way. I was in the military, and I got married, and just distraction after distraction. What, what did you do in the military? <laughs> I was a logistics specialist. So Private investigator, military logistics specialist. Yes, I don't And a rapper. <laughs> like, on paper, you're the coolest person I've ever met. I appreciate it. I also have a bachelor's degree. I don't want to throw that out there, but I do. Uh, no, what I'm saying is um, life was in the way of my dream. Right. But because life was always comfortable, I never seemed to want to pursue the dream fully. Right. Right. So I said, if by the time that you're 30, mm-hmm. two years, mm-hmm. you have not accomplished anything with hip hop, you need to be honest with yourself and remove yourself from that equation and concentrate on what you're do- really doing. Because once you're 30, you're no longer a young man. You're a full grown adult with no excuses. You know what I'm saying? Like nothing. I get it. I do. I like. I, I. I do understand that that logic. And you know, there's there's no question that I think you know commercial hip hop is. I mean, commercial hip hop is um is viewed as being a younger person's game. But I think that um I don't know. I like the older people get the more I kind of respect them. And I would have told you that all my favorite art when I was a kid, all my favorite artists, I never like, I mean, and obviously look, they've got years and years of doing what they're doing behind them. But people like people like, you know, Henry Rollins is well into his fifties and I can't wait to hear what he has to say next. And he continues to be meaningful to people that are in their, you know, teens and twenties and people like, People, well, I mean, you know, one of them passed away, but the moment a Beastie Boys record came out, you know, it, those guys are pushing 50 as well, and, and that, you know, that would be a big deal, and I think everybody... Now, admittedly, they've been doing it since they were teenagers, Yeah. but I, like, the more and more I see this, like, I, I'm starting to feel that, like, if you have something to give, if you can find a way to 
make people feel good mm-hmm. with whatever kind of art you are producing, whether it's a radio show or whether it's a song or whether it's something that you wrote or something like if you can find a way to make people feel good or make people think or like the the really the rules have changed very dramatically. Right. I, like I found out like uh, that guy, you know, that uh, band fits in the tantrums. Sorry, who? Fits in the tantrums. Yeah, sure. So fits in the tantrums. You know that guy's like forty six, forty seven, something like that. He's been around forever. He was like Beck's recording engineer back in the day. That was his thing. He was yeah. like Beck's sound engineer, and he helped make records. And he always wanted to write songs. And then when he was like, I think like right around like forty years old, you know, considerably later in the game than people make pop records. Um, he. Uh, he, he bought like a secondhand church organ. Someone said, you want this secondhand church organ? He was like, all right. And he bought it for like 50 bucks. And he felt like he'd never been able to really write songs the way he needed to to make. And he was like something about this church organ, the way it made me play music. I knew I was writing the best music of my life. And he was like pushing 40 at the time if he wasn't already 40. And he's out there making music for kids at the age of 45, whatever. And he's, you know, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't think it. And, but it's just, I think the the game has changed, but you're right. Like, I mean, I think specifically in hip hop, right? Right. If you start in your twenties, yeah, you add 10 years of a career, yeah. you're in your thirties. You're still got, you're the rest of life to talk about. Yeah. If you're in your thirties and you're barely building a fan base, it's going to take you at least another five to get like a serious momentum, unless you drop this amazing single, yeah. right? And then you're at the risk of one one hit. One, I mean, like, yeah. there's all this other stuff you got to think about. But I said, you know what? If by the time you're 30, you haven't fully contributed or be somewhere in hip hop where you're happy with it, yeah. just be honest. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with it. I mean, I'll still be a fan and listen to the music, but you need to really concentrate on what you're doing with your life. Mm-hmm. So I started the show at 28. Uh-huh. I'm here now. I believe this is what I was meant to contribute. Right. It's not rocking full stadiums and it's not it's not all this, but it is something new. Yeah. I feel and it is something that's needed and it's also bringing hip hop journalism I think is really tainted with a lot of promotional stuff. Like right. uh, and then either that or you're doing stuff for views. Right. You're starting beef or you're saying what you know did you hear what they said about this and that but there's no serious like get to know the artist shows out yeah. there. So I said you know what this is good. When the first when we did the first episode I'm like good it came out the way I wanted then we polished it and it's not even it's not just me now saying it. there's a lot of people saying like dude some of the artists are walking away that have been in the game 20, 15 years saying that was the best interview, that was the best interview I've, ever I've ever done. Yeah, no, like I, I'm not yeah. even surprised a little bit to hear it because or like- I've always been wanted to, I've always wanted someone to ask me that. Mm-hmm. That's like the best compliment I ever get because like RA will be like, I have to like, dude, that interview was fucking fantastic though. That was amazing. Yeah. Keep doing it. Yeah. Planet Asia is like, I've been, you know, there's the best show. Like it's, it's really satisfying to hear first of all, people that I've grew up listening to yeah. now giving me props, right? You know, it's what's interesting is like I've you heard like it's on that first Wu Tang record where it's like I can't remember the exact quote, but there you know, there's one of the interstitial bits where you just hear talking where he where they're like, We knew we had something because this is what we wanted to hear mm-hmm. that we knew we had something because this is what we wanted to hear. If we wanted to like hear hip hop, it was like this 
but no one was making it. We made just what we wanted to hear. Yeah. And like I interviewed the guitar player from ZZ and I always like remember that quote off the Wu-Tang thing. It's like you, you kind of like make something that you want to hear. And like I interviewed the guitar player from ZZ Top, Billy Gibbons on the show the other day. He has like a solo album out and and I was like, you have put yourself in these crazy situations. Not only are you like this legendary guitar player that can fill stadiums with ZZ Top and have been for since the late 70s, not only are you this guy that's accomplished so much, but like you wind up in some weird situations. You like, you, uh, you're the, like I found, he's got this crazy voice, like really, really like unbelievably deep. I was like, you've got an incredible voice. Have you ever done, been asked to do voice work? He was like, oh yeah, I was on Power Rangers. Except he was like, oh yeah, I was, I was on Power Rangers. Yeah. I was Vile Vine. Why did you come to my planet? I was like, you were the guy in Power Rangers? And he's like, I think he's got an, a part on that show Bones and he does a bunch of cooking stuff and he does like, like, and I was like, how Jesus do you, Christ. how do you put yourself into all these weird yet amazing, super cool positions? And yeah. he was like, well, the best thing, whether you're talking about playing guitar or whether you're talking about just doing cool stuff that you want to do, he was like, learn to play what you want to hear. Learn to play what you want to hear. I was like, that's exactly what the Wu-Tang said on their very first album. <laughs> He's like, I, was I know. Like, I produced it. Like, okay. I, I was like, I'm spotting a trend here. It's just like, you know, and so I think Wake the Flock Up is very similar to this radio show that I do where, like, I got picked up. The reason I started working with Funkhauser was, like, a little while ago, I got tapped by the Grand Dragons of Talk Radio to be, like, the next thing. They're like, look, you know, the angry old white guys they're getting old and they're dying and um so is their audience and they're more importantly their audience isn't spending money the way they used to because they're retirees now and it's you know so we're kind of looking for what's next and we think you might be it and i was like cool i was like what what do i do they're like it just has to be real to you just get in there do wind sprints and push-ups and and it'll you know like but it's got to be real to you and and so like for a while, did my best impersonation of an angry old white guy and realized I could do that. And then, you know, tried sort of like more kind of goofy morning show, you know, like vaguely comedic stuff. And then really sort of like found our own spot, our own lane of doing something that nobody else really does and no right. one's ever really done before. And people are reacting very strongly to. And that's sort of, you know, being on the side of humanity, being on the side of wanting to make the world a better place, wanting to kind of, you know, find common ground for left and right and you know and and bring folks together in a way and say hey you you don't have to you, you there's this big misconception in America at the moment there's this big misconception in the world at the moment that just because someone thinks differently than you you can't love them or you can't be their friend or if someone you know it's just like basically trying to find common ground you know to try and make some sense out of the madness that you know people get so dug in at the moment and trying to anyways that's just our shtick and that's you know that's what i wanted to hear and no one was doing it and then you know we we just started doing it and it start started working and started you know getting ratings and started and and it's just that's what i would want to hear if i was a listener and yeah. I, I did that and that's what you did with wake the flock up it's like this doesn't exist but i want it Therefore, I'm going to go create it. And, you know, I know other people want to hear it because I want to hear it, you know. And you know what it is? It's also uh, I cannot give the team that I work with enough credit because they also help me do things that uh, I couldn't do. I don't have the skills. I don't have the time and I don't have the want to do them. 
I can't make a, I can't keep rhythm. I can't dance. So I can't make a beat. So J. Rose makes the beats for us, which is amazing. Uh-huh. And then J. Rose, you know, puts out his tapes and stuff, helps all, all rewind promotion. It's amazing. X helps us with the, with the cameras and the videos and all this stuff. And then Dips has to locate. So it's all, it's all a team effort. I'm just pretty much, um, like you said, I was just like the first one to say something about it. So now like-minded people all gather together and it's like, yes, this is what needs to get done. But what, what you were saying is, I think, uh, you know, John Stewart said it best is that he, he has all those years he spent on the daily show. All he was really was doing was fighting the war against bullshit. Yeah. So if you listen to John Stewart on the daily show, he's very funny, very entertaining, but at the end he's very right. And he's opinionated. And I don't mean right as in right. I mean, correct. Yeah. The way he thinks is the way that every intelligent American should think. Mm-hmm. And yes, he has his things that he's more specific about, but it's really is a war against bullshit. The bullshit of the media. So he makes fun of it. The bullshit of, of, of journalism. He'll make fun of it. And that's what we do with hip hop and uh, with our shows like yours and mine. It's like enough of the bullshit. Here's some real stuff. Yeah. So when people hear it, it's like, oh, dude, he's saying some real shit. This is reality yeah. instead of just what's being pushed out so mm-hmm. that I can consume and buy more shit. Yeah. You know, so real opinions from young minded people is really the future of everything it's always been the future it's always the old people you know what I'm saying like the old mentality the antiquated ideas and styles they kind of were good when they first came out but even then they were from fresh minds yeah so if you just there's entire religions based on super antiquated mentalities that are destroying the world just for the simple fact that they refuse to evolve into something new yeah. or adapt to the times mm-hmm. imagine if these religions took in mind oh hey females are equal they mm-hmm. think they're smart they're intelligent mm-hmm. they're smarter than most of the guys mm-hmm. they're more payable they the the the, the the world would not be so chaotic yeah if we were just willing to let go of old ridiculously outrageous mentality and be real and honest and stop trying to impress someone of how how religious I am, or I'm more pure than thou, and blah 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 blah, all this other stuff. I brought you all my dreams, cause I love you. I love You're not smart or strong enough to do Give it up. The 
and I'll limit up to all of the things that you had said you wanted to be. When running away from challenge seems to be so much more easy. Cause man's search for meaning means disbelieving means not perceiving you're a less severe. And you got something to offer that no one can take away. It means not accepting what life hands you every single day. And every way you write a story that just belongs to you. So when asked to write your own story, what you gonna do? When asked to write your own story, what you gonna do? When asked to write your own story, what you gonna do? When asked to write your own story, what you gonna do? When asked to write your own story, what you gonna do? Catch somebody So there's this, you know, there's this people get so dug in and it, like I, I, this is kind of some crazy out there esoteric stuff. But I think I honestly do believe the Internet and the way it works is uh, is to blame for a lot of it. Like and I, I did this experiment once where I did this experiment once where I'd heard it would happen. So I tried it and Google if I went and Googled Egypt, I would see bombing person beheaded the islamic brotherhood is offing people left right and center don't go to egypt whatever you do is the message that i get loud and clear if i google right. egypt but then i had my my buddy down the hall from me who was um i think his parents were egyptian i was like hey go google egypt and based on everything that was going on you know like in his personal browser history he googles egypt yeah he gets like flights resorts vacations you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, just by trying to personalize our experience on the internet, we have this thing that was meant to 
connect us to people. We have this thing that was meant to break down barriers of understanding and ideology. And because Google's so busy trying to sell us stuff or, you know, they're like, hey, you like the Avengers, that means you'll probably like the Arrow. You know, like, uh, whatever predictive thing that it's trying to get to get you to spend money or, or just, you know, or just satisfy your wants and needs as you sit there in your underwear doing nothing at all with your life, it's putting you in a box. It's putting you in a bubble and it's connecting you only exclusively with the people that you agree with. Like, you know, mm. Google and Facebook, like if you, if you, if you, uh, if you post something, I, if you, if you post something on Facebook that, you know, is pro Donald Trump, you're going to see a bunch of pro Donald Trump stuff. If you post something on Facebook that is anti Trump, well, you're going to get connected with a bunch of Hillary for president stuff. And it's just like, it, they it's they put us only in rooms of people that agree with us and so what it's become is like people just hanging out agreeing with each other not learning anything and i think you know um and not letting go of antiquated ideologies and people become so kind of the puppy millhouse is making his appearance on the <laughs> podcast <laughs> he's agreeing house. with you yeah yeah no he's like dad you're so right walk <laughs> me um but uh you know i i think we get put in this bubble where you're you're just in a room full full of people that you agree with, I, I don't know if it's Ben Franklin. I'm I'm sure I'm quoting this wrong, but there there's a, a great quote that goes, "Too much agreement kills a conversation." Like if you, like if we agree on absolutely everything, I'm going to learn absolutely nothing from you. Right. And it's just like, but we're so sort of like in these rooms full of people that these choirs that are used to being preached to that we have absolutely no sort of like reason to look outside of it and try and sort of like grow and evolve and learn. And so you know, people are sort of I think devolving into these folks that don't know how to deal with yeah. another human being. Well, you mm -hmm. don't agree with me completely. Right. You must be scum. Right. You know, I don't know how to deal with that. I'm just used to talking to people that only agree with everything I say and people going right on, right on all yep. the time. And it's yep. just like, it's much harder to work to bring people together. I, I, people and, uh, don't realize that evolution can, you can devolve. I mean, um, so if you don't use certain traits, they will go away. I've devolved in time. <laughs> I've devolved. When I was a kid, I used to be like Rain Man with long division. Like yeah. in like you know tenth you grade algebra. You stop using that in, skill. In tenth grade algebra, I used to be able to do long division in my head, and right. the kids would turn around and be like, "How's he doing yeah. this?" And the teacher was like, "This is how he's doing this." And I was like, yeah. to, to, "I don't remember how to do it." Yeah. And now I'm sitting in Seven Eleven, being like, "I have two dollars." <laughs> oh, let me get bar, my phone this, out. This candy bar costs eighty three cents. This soda is a dollar twenty-three. Eight percent tax. Do I have enough? Is this kind of you know like that's and I used to be able to like do long division in my head. We are absolutely devolving. Like now, people don't know how to have, have conversations right. one on one because it's yeah. just like most kids grow up texting. That's a main form of communication. It's like we have these phones that do everything for you, yeah. but they're kind of crappy to actually talk on. Right. You can't really hear each other. That's so a good like, point, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, they're really great <laughs> for a sort of So like, just say these speakers. Yeah, yeah. Put on speaker. I can, I can check email. I can check Twitter. I can navigate myself wherever I have to be. I can find the best place <laughs> yeah. to eat tacos in San Diego. When's I the can last time you memorized a phone number? Well, exactly. And did you know that you can become, you can up your IQ by memorizing phone numbers? There was like a, a, stu a study that said the more phone numbers you memorize, if you can yeah. memorize 10 phone numbers, yeah. your IQ will jump this many times. I don't know if I know 10 phone numbers in my head now. Right. But you know what's interesting? I know my about wife's. I know mine. Everybody's texting because phones work for crap when you're trying to talk on them. <laughs> yeah. And that means when you're texting, you have a chance to look at what you're writing. Yes. 
Go back, edit it, delete it. Should I send this? I don't know. I'm going to, okay. Yeah, no, I've really thought this through. I've, yes. I've asked five friends and this is the text I should send. <laughs> As opposed to standing there talking to people where you got to think on your feet and you got to you know, read social cues and take into account how this person might feel right. for your own and make your own judgment calls as opposed to run around looking for different forms of approval face before you send face. a freaking text. Face to face. Yes. Mm, it's much harder to tell someone, fuck you. Face to face. That's exactly what we're it's saying. It's so about much it. easier to be, just type, type it in. Yeah. That's why these 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 Facebook and these YouTube and these comments are so so broad and so it's it's to the point where like the people that read them yeah uh, they go oh just ignore them yeah. when it's like comments were like hey I really like this but I didn't like that here's creative qu-. that's what they were like literally meant for I think or I really like this or maybe I didn't like it as much but they're like insulting your mom like you know what I'm saying like we've devolved like in the military we call them perishable skills. Uh-huh. So if you don't, what's a perishable skill? That's it's a skill that's if you don't maintain it, oh, it right, perishes. Right. Yeah. So they were referred to as perishable skills, like right. uh, shooting and target practice and certain calculations. These are called perishable skills, and you need to maintain them. Yes. Spe- the, people, the, the language, people you skills, and I both share this love for language. People's skills are are perishing. Conversation skills, conversational yeah. skills, skills that that would in the Shakespeare will fucking poetry with his like it was amazing now lol everything and and uh four b b b number four you late like literally this is what it's come down to we try to break down and speak with people as (laughs) as little as possible make a plan make plans with someone ad i have a really funny story about lol hold on on. but make make plans with someone nowadays yeah how easily are those plans broken because they could just be like yo i can't make it yeah Yo, I can't be there. Yo, later. Cause it, but before, yeah, you gonna go? Yes, we're going. Okay, yeah. you. This happened. Yeah. Like it was. I'm yeah. gonna pick you up. I'm gonna honk my horn. Yeah. I'm gonna pick you up. I'm gonna either drive or we're gonna take our bikes to the park. Like things were met and people. But now it's just so easy to dismiss someone, which is why it's so easy to a little darker. But like these, all these shootings. All this, this disconnect from other human beings we talked about this when you were sitting in on my show it's, yeah you're right and like the, the there is a disconnect and like i i don't have the the figures in front of me but the shootings which have become an epidemic an epidemic it is an absolute epidemic and it's ridiculous i have i the, the camp there has to be someone that's like goes to the president and goes look We've developed 10 logical ways that we can at least put a dent in these things. Why is nothing being done? And don't give me this, oh, guns aren't the answer. To... When a bad guy with a gun shows up, you have to wait till the good guys with a gun show up. Mm-hmm. So how is not having a gun then a better idea than not having any guns? Like, I don't understand this logic of, oh, no, it's, you know, it's barbaric. Or, dude, people are dying because there's no one there to protect them. And I'm saying give an eight-year-old a gun. I'm saying if you're an adult, Right, you pass a background check. You pass. I mean, these are things you have to do to own a gun. I own several. I went through background checks. I went through this, and it took me ten days. Have that process for everyone, but make it an easy, be easy, attainable thing. Other states have them. Why does California not have them? There's yeah. other states that have no Texas. Perfect. Here it is. Okay, you're an adult. I trust you. You're 18. Here we I go. Spent, I spent a good deal of time in Texas, and there's uh, there uh, <laughs> uh, the 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 gun laws in Texas are. Well, I mean, look, we're going down. Like, do do you want to do the gun control thing? All I'm saying is there's because the gun control thing is really interesting. There's ways of fixing it without even having to be like a gun 
control thing. All I'm saying is very simple. OSHA regulates work places. Mm-hmm. Why isn't OSHA saying, okay, if you host more than 100 employees, you have to have an armed security guard there? Minimum wage, guy with a gun there. That is going to be way more of a deterrent for someone coming up saying, oh, no, I know for a fact there's a person with a gun there. I'm not going to shoot it up. Very simple. It gives more jobs. You make more guns. There's more jobs. There's more production. There's more development. Very easy to stop certain things. If you're building, whether it be at school, whether it be a, a, a cineplex, whatever it is, your mall holds more than 100 people. You have to have one armed person there. Solve the issue. That's at least going to deter a lot more people coming into malls, start shooting them up. But school, I know there's someone with a gun there for a fact. I'm going to rethink this. Mm-hmm. But I know there's soft targets is what they call them. Schools, bunch of kids, very easy. Yeah. Cineplex, they're watching fucking Transformers, shoot it up, who cares? There's things that we can do, but nothing gets accomplished because everyone's jacking each other off. Oh, I'm more, I'm more, I'm more advanced, I'm more uh, evolved than you. I don't think the peasants and the guns and the... This is the kind of thing that needs to be addressed, but we're too busy with the bullshit, lying to each other, trying to impress each other. I'm more advanced, I'm more rich, I'm better than you kind of thing that we don't really get anything done and accomplished. Well, I think, I mean, the gun control is an interesting one. We talked about it a little bit when you were on my show last time. And the, the thing that is staggering is in the 1960s, when there was no gun control, when a kid could go to a drugstore, Walmart, whatever, Kmart, whatever was the thing, Woolworths, I suppose, back in the day, buy themselves a cherry phosphate, a comic book, and a shotgun. Like, there was no gun control, and there were no school shootings. And... As we have progressed as a species, as we've gotten more gun control, more school shootings, more mass shootings, more. Now, I'm not for a moment thinking that all the all, all the people that are responsible for these sort of egregious acts of violence are mad about gun control. So they're shooting up schools or what have you. But as we have progressed as a species, it's what we're talking about. We communicate less and less as a human being. That kid. That kid, uh, what was it, UC Santa Barbara? Like, it used to be, when you talked about a school shooting, you knew all about it because there were, so, there were few and far between, and it's, it, you start to lose track. Columbine. Oh, you try, Remember start, Columbine? Yeah, there, there was Columbine. They and, teach that in schools. Yeah. Like, at, when it happened, it was like, in, it was such a big deal. Yeah. Because it was so rare. It was so, so rare. It was, now, a, it was a historical event. Exactly. And now it's like Common. one a month. And and so, but, but the, the interesting thing is, is that as we... Uh, and it's you know you and me we 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 know how to relate one on one. We're off to a better start than a lot of kids. But if you grow up not knowing how to relate to people, you know, see someone's face, smile, get a hug. I'm not trying to trivialize these problems yeah. by saying yeah. they're going to go away by giving a hug. But like universally, all of these shootings happen in they don't go to another state and off a bunch of people. They do it at home bunch of peers and almost universally you can track it back to some sort of sick twisted bid for attention like the, the i think it was the uc santa barbara kid who said he was a virgin who's you know he sought help on online support groups he would you know these girls would learn that he couldn't be ignored and then he went and shot up the place i mean that's you know it's sort of like so obviously on the nose textbook stuff it, this was just solely for attention and you know like I think one thing is the the further we get into this digital age, the further we are, and it's like this: we live. You know how you you can be lonely in the biggest crowds. Oh, well, here absolutely. we are in the biggest crowd of all time, and people are yeah. feeling like lonely. I like I have to be on every form of social media for radio. You know, like Twitter, Snap, and like Snapchat's an interesting one because there's a random randomness to it. Where like 
I'll go through Snapchats like dutifully as is my job. And like universally once or twice a night, I'll get like, I'm bored. Who wants to talk? I'm bored. Who wants to talk? And then every once in a while I get like, I really need to talk to someone. Is anybody out there? And people are like calling out over this random, you know, like over an app and they don't have. And so like the sense of loneliness and isolation goes hand in hand with the advancement of this wonderful digital technology. It's like drinking. It's like gambling. It's like any of those things. A little bit is great. The right amount is great. Become overly dependent on it. You got problems. You start to mess up your relationships. You start to mess up all sorts of things. You start to lose touch with who you are. You are. You lose your life. You lose yourself. And in some cases where people really are truly sick and twisted, they feel so isolated. They feel so alone. They do something as desperate as being like, you know what? Because I'm a virgin, I'm going to go shoot a bunch of girls at UC Santa Barbara like that one kid did. Yeah, it's never. Oh, he was. Uh, he got laid on a regular basis. Uh, he. It's never. And, and, and think about. <clears throat> let's say that. That's a funny thing. He never. He got. He gets laid all the time. Okay, well, the guy that gets laid all the time is the guy that's able and has enough self-confidence to go speak to a female. Where did he learn the self-confidence? Well, he has friends. Well, why, where did he learn the self-confidence? Oh, he's on the football team. Like, he spoke to other people. He managed, he interacted with other people. It's, it's not, oh, he's fucking the super scrawny kid that always gets picked on. Well, what is he doing? Oh, he's in his room playing on his computer all day. Okay, well, that's the issue. See what I'm saying? And it's become to such a, a normality now that I'm not even shocked when I go through it anymore. Like it's like, uh, I, I was really like it hit close to home in San Bernardino, mm. a place where I've been a million times where I have family that lives in that County. And then I hear the shooting in San Bernardino and I'm thinking at this point, everyone's thinking the same thing. I'm thinking if this is getting ridiculous, yeah, not only did it happen in California now, in right? your backyard where there's all the gun control in the world what's up yeah. what is uh, and who's gonna say something no one because that's not where the votes are you know the what, votes are with the older people like you're saying the old the old white guys and the old rich black they're with the older crowd who who needs to pretend to be better than you so i'm not gonna dare think something such barbaric as carrying around weapons no no there's got to be a legal no dude they, you have to fucking stop and really think about what's what's happening young people are losing their lives because you as a politician refuse to actually say the truth when san bernardino happened like that was that was a real moment that was because and, I, and i'll tell you why because before it, it was disgusting before before while the bodies were still warm people on one side of the argument were like up oh, Islamic terrorism. They didn't know. I mean, as it, no one, I don't, I think zero people were surprised that it was an act of Islamic or religiously motivated terrorism. And then on the other side, like, up, oh, gun control, told you, gun control. And it's just like, and people are, before anybody really truly knows what was going on. I mean, like, I'm in radio. We were in California that week. You know, like, it's it, our back door. You know, we had to, a couple places on lockdown in San Diego to where we had to really be as up on the situation as we could possibly be. And we're like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And the answer was, nobody knows what's going on. And we're here basically kind of on the front line of the situation, trying to come up with any information we can to protect the people in our community. And already... People on the left and the right of the gun control argument and the Islamic terrorism argument had decided what it was. They'd already printed the front page of the New York Daily News, I think it was, you know, saying like, all your prayers mean nothing. We need gun control. This isn't terrorism. This is a gun control. And like, and when it turned out that it was Islamic 
terrorists radicalized Muslims who had gotten a gun through legal channels. I was like, look at you. Look at both sides of you. Look at You're too busy fucking using the corpses of these innocent people that died to springboard yourself into a higher tax bracket, trying to get more clicks for your stupid Twitter feed, trying to get people to watch your YouTube channel, trying to get ratings and television, trying to do whatever the hell you're doing by calling foul on the other side, and you both fucked up. You're both too fucking late, and you both have your problems come home to roost. It is Islamic terrorism, and guess what? What? Why are Islamic terrorists? Why are Islamic terrorists able to get their hands on a thousand rounds of ammunition and guns? You know, like it's both of you. You fucking stop arguing. You come together. You find the middle and realize, hey, guess what? While we were too busy tripping over our own dicks to do anything for the people that are dead here, we're, we're, this senseless tragedy happened, and because we're too busy serving ourselves by going, this is what I have to say about this situation, humanity takes a big hit and that's not okay and it's just like and it it, it it gets to the point where yeah these are all real problems it's not one thing or the other but like by being so steadfast and resolute saying it's not a gun control thing it's an islam thing it's not an islam thing you you islamophobe you know like you hitler it, it's a gun control thing yeah. and like it's like guess what you're both fucking idiots you're both wrong yeah <clears throat> you're both right <clears throat> but you're both Gonna do nothing about it. So yeah. s- don't even talk You're- because it is a gun control thing. You just need to learn, and we need to have certain things. And even then, it's not really a gun control thing because no, if he bought a gun legally, he was a citizen. You know, I mean, regardless of what it was, it's like you're concentrating on the wrong part of the story mm-hmm. it's not how they got the guns it's not what they did it's why did they do this so if they're islamic terrorists okay fine that can go into spiral into its own thing but let's talk about the innocent the the, the lonely kid or the, the bullied kid it's really all comes down to mental stability of whoever's doing it and we want to kind of like uh define it to be like oh well a muslim if a muslim does it then it has to be terrorist if a, if a lonely white kid does it then it has to be a mental disorder right mm-hmm. what is happening to humanity that it's so easy for you to go blankly and start shooting kids mm-hmm. what what is happening to people that they can go into an amish school a preschool and just start executing fucking toddlers mm-hmm. what is fucking happening yeah what is going on think about that and let's talk about that and now if you can't immediately fix that which you can't what can you possibly do to at least try to minimize the fact? Mm-hmm. Fucking do something. Put You need to put, do something. I mean, a guard, a security guard, it's not that hard, difficult to pass a bill, pass a law that says they will. I mean, that's just my idea. There has to be way smarter men than me coming up with way better ideas. But nothing's implemented. They're never, they're never saying, oh, uh, they're, they're, we're, they're debating on a, on a bill that will uh, make it three times as hard to something nothing it's always like oh well we feel so bad for little jane and little doe it is what it is okay moving on here's the fucking kardashians right what's that where's the action where's the movement where's something but they the one thing that they, everyone did know for a fact didn't know who the shooter was and we're talking about Dino, didn't know uh, why they did it but 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 a handful of people knew a lot of people knew that it was a uh, uh, fake and what i mean fake is plotted and thought out i don't know if you've seen those posts now where like they hire actors, right? Which I don't know what that means. They hire actors to grieve on on 
on screen. Have you seen? You see what I'm talking about? Oh, what this idea that no one's actually dead. That no one's actually dead, or the idea that it was well, very well thought it out by the government, right? Because that's the number one enemy right now from the independent people, independent youngsters coming up. Is the government plotted out this idea to later be able to do uh, martial law and take away your rights and do this? I don't know. I don't know. 9/11 was it uh, thought out, well plotted by the government? I have no idea. All I know is. See, they seem kind of guilty of at least knowing it was going to go down. You know, I'm not a huge like conspiracy theorist, right. and I, like you know the whole you know chemtrails, shape shifting lizard people, all those like sort of like you know like Alex Jones. George Norrie can kind of convince you to really well, believe like, in that shit. Though, I no, 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 like like you listen to Alex Jones, you listen to George Norrie, you'll start you'll start going like maybe. <laughs> like, but like the, the but the, you know, I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist in general, and. You know, there is one thing that has always bothered me. The one thing that the one thing that has always bothered me was uh, why'd they bury Osama bin Laden at sea? Like that, you know, it's just like, yeah, we killed him. His body's at sea somewhere. We don't know. It's such a bizarre answer. And like, I don't I don't think that the killing of Osama bin Laden was fake. I don't think he's still alive. I don't think he's like chilling with Tupac or something like that. You know, I don't think it's a fake death. But like. I I think something other than what they told us happened to Osama bin Laden's body, like and I, I you know because it's just like such a bizarre thing. Yeah, we buried it at sea. Why? In, unless unless there's some sort of unless there's some sort of mitigating circumstances in in the Quran where it's like you know like you, you know gives a fuck well, but, what but, he but, wants. He's like the worst no, terrorist no, 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 like, on the planet. Like I know, would do the what does he say? Oh, bury me at daytime. Bury him at night. Well, no, but don't that, even bury the mother. I, mean, I would do the complete opposite. Well, that, of what that's he the thing. That's the thing. Maybe a burial at sea is like in some, you know, in in their faith. <laughs> it's a big like, fuck you. It, it means you do not pass go. Do not get. But they were. 70 virgins. He was killed by not, Navy SEALs, right? So maybe it has something to do with like a conquering of a. Um, I don't know. Just throwing. Did it you know the? Uh, <laughs> did, did you know that um, uh, Navy SEALs? Did, did you know that um, I think it was Hamas? held uh dolphins that they captured thinking they were spies they they're israeli spy dolphins wow yeah so navy seals israeli spy dolphins yeah <laughs> some people think it was just a big mistake i know they were there on porpoise <laughs> uh, no but it's true like the, <laughs> that that, that wow. part is 100 percent. you guys gotta listen to ad show what when, when, when is your show on which one exactly i don't Give know like, i'm on like six radio stations but like the the main one i mean like i'm on a bunch of music stations and that's really cool and i i enjoy that but like the the talk show you can listen to the podcast on iheart radio we've uh it's on in houston it's on in florida it's on iheart radio it's on Spreaker. and this and- is the kind of uh the mind and the kind of, because you do very well and like when you give a i don't want to say it's a sermon but at the very end of your show you kind of take i think like the last 15 minutes or so and you kind of really just express what's on your mind and everything's very well artic- very articulate very well thought out and i agree with like 99.99 percent of everything you say oh, thank so you. i really think you guys need to do a little more digging into ad and uh we need to do a little more digging so I enjoy the conversation, but right. we're here to get to know you. Oh, right. Gotcha. <laughs> wait, wait. First, I have yes. to, you know how we were talking about the internet and people don't know how to deal with it properly? Yes. Um, old people, as much, as damaging as it, as it is to the youth to not know how to have a conversation, uh-huh. the thing that you were saying about LOL. Oh, yeah. The LOL story. You LOL story is um, a friend of mine's mom yeah. got on Facebook. Uh-huh kind of get into grips with whole thing the new lingo that people are using online yeah. and uh thinks lol means lots of love 
which easy to see how that happens. Sure, like, sure. you know, it's just because people tend to end things with it. Like, yeah. hey, it was really great seeing you. I can't believe they did that at that party. LOL. Yeah. Sounds plausible. Like a sign off. Like a sign off. Lots yeah. of love. Um, and uh, and so she was uh, running around using the expression LOL, as in lots of love uh-huh. all over the place. And nobody really realized it because, you know, it could have Yeah, it kind of yeah. fits with what she's saying until she was like, I can't tell you how sorry I am to hear about the passing of your aunt, LOL. <laughs> true story, 100% true. <laughs> she had a lot of explaining to do. Yeah, uh, yeah. how did that go? Over? Yeah, not well. Not well at all. That's what it's about, man. It's funny watching old people. My, my mom is on Facebook now, uh-huh. and uh, when I saw the friend request, I was like, fuck. You gotta be kidding me, woman! Really? What do you? What could you possibly want with Facebook? But no, she just. Do you, let me ask you this: Did you, you go to? Uh, you go to your high school reunion? Hell no! I didn't go to my high school reunion. So, like, <laughs> but they didn't have Facebook in in high no, when you were in high school. No, did they? we didn't. Like, we didn't. Have, didn't our even phones have MySpace were, were or Friendster. He, we had, I still had pagers. Right, right, pagers. We had pagers. Like my mom would page me, and I have to call. Find a, I gotta find a pay phone. I gotta call my mom back. Let her know yeah, that. Yeah. Like that's how old I am. Pagers are like, but the um. Rotary phone. So, like, the, uh... <laughs> and then, remember the 1-800-COLLECT uh, commercials? Oh, yeah. You know what I used to have when I was a kid in the band out on the road? I had one of those calling cards, like long-distance calling wow, cards. yes. Where you would go to a pay phone and use that to... Because, co- like, I was always calling England. And yeah. so, even though we had cell phones, like, mm-hmm. oh, it's expensive. So, yeah. I would call long... Di- or I would use a cell phone with the calling card. Yeah. You know, like, but like we had the calling cards. The, the, the sack, the sack, uh, uh, Norris phone. You know what I'm saying? The big old look like you calling Norris phone. Look yeah. like calling airstrikes with yeah. that thing. It's all like this big old. Yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. But okay, but let's get to know AD a little better. Uh, okay. okay. Uh, where are we from? Where were we born? Let's start with that. I was born, and I, I don't usually bother telling people this because the story gets so confusing and convoluted okay most people i just tell them that like my family's from new york but i grew up in london okay um but i was actually born in brussels in uh in belgium wow Uh, my uh my dad was over there my dad's a a a lawyer and he was over there doing a a, an international law fellowship and um and i was born there was is so your mom is german no, no. Well, uh, my mom, both my parents were from America, right. but he, my dad went to law school. So they were already married and they went on that trip. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, my dad went to law school and then my dad really was interested in, like my dad still is. My dad lives in Kosovo now of all places. Yeah. Um, and he was really interested in international law and um, he got a fellowship to go study wow. in Brussels. And so he went and did that. And like, I was, I always wondered why. And then I realized I talked to a buddy of mine that did international law. He was like, you don't understand. There's no laws. It's international. There's not, he was like, it's really, cause you know, there's not laws that govern, you know, like one oh, country's laws are yeah. different to another country's laws. So a uh-huh. lot of what you're coming up with is really kind of like you're on the fly, you know, sort of like defining situations as you go, you know, very sort of technical advanced legal situations. It's kind of like you're on the philosophical razor's edge when you're doing international law. So your dad was like on his toes. It kept yeah. them it kept them intrigued. It kept them like, wow, there's always something new regardless of there what was, the There case was always is. intrigue. My dad oh. used to do corporate oil law in Russia in the eighties during the height of the Cold Holy War. Shit, and dude. he told me like this incredible story once of uh going into a going into a meeting in Russia and like so one of his coworkers, they're in the bathroom getting ready, kind of freshening up before going into 
uh, to going into um negotiate and like he sees his coworker eating a half pound of butter and he's like what the hell are you doing and russians according to my dad and from what i've seen they don't have like a meet in the middle attitude in their world there's a winner and there's a loser and they want to be the winner as much as possible so as a way of intimidating people when they were doing the contracts when they were doing legal work it's like oh wonderful we have reached new agreement everybody do a shot of vodka then we go kill moose and squirrel ah 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 and so they make people do shots of vodka but while they were reaching different points on the deal and my friend my dad's coworker was kind of a lightweight so to coat his stomach in the vo- so the vodka wouldn't get in he ate a half pound of butter before going into the meeting <laughs> wow he did some interesting stuff <laughs> that's but, but yeah i was born in brussels you think russian butter is good what was that, that you sounds, think it was good it, it doesn't sound good sounds like like where'd you get that butter from russia i got this butter was imported from russia yeah, like, yeah, yeah yeah why is it glowing what animal really moves like what do they have in russia like why, bears? why is it glowing in the dark <laughs> radioactive russian bear butter so uh, uh you spent you you uh how long were you in london for uh, so, like, I was in, I really only in, uh, I, I think it was two when we left okay. Brussels and then back to New York for a bit. Uh-huh. And then my parents, I think, after being in America for a little while, like, my father's English. Yeah. Um, my, me and my dad did the opposite same thing. My father was born in England, grew up in America. I was um, a, a child in America. I was an American that grew up mostly in England. So mm-hmm. like, I think we were there for a year or two before we moved to London. Cause my parents just wanted to get back to Europe. How long were you in London for? Um, still, I think the longest I've lived anywhere was London. Like moved there when I was like, I don't know, four. And then, then I think started going back and forth more often because I was in this band and we, uh, we started going back and forth between Europe and, and America when we got up in the game. And so like from the time when I was about five to the time when I was about 20. Um, so no accent though. So I used to have one and yeah. it was a lot stronger when I lived in England. Yeah. Um, and it was never like a full on English accent. And then when I came here and I started doing radio, I would slip back and forth quite a lot. And I remember my first program director told me, he was like, you kind of have this Anglo-American thing going on and people might think you're Canadian. Oh, and we no. clearly can't have that. Fuck no. We can't have people thinking you're, you know, a moose-humping Celine Dion <laughs> fan. So, you know, like, heavens to Gretzky, lose that now. And um, so <laughs> I just kind of try maple and... Maple chucker? Yeah, yeah, you maple chucker. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you nickelback fan. How dare um, you? So- oh, my God. Dude, uh, yes. For as uh, I don't know what Canada has done, they just seem to be very nice people. But, Canada, like but you, if a Canadian, like if I, I, I'd be insulted. Like, Are you Canadian? I'd be like, fuck you. Really? Right? See, like I gotta be honest. Like I, the, every Canadian I know is the nicest human. I don't know why they get a bad rap. And the other thing, like you know, not not to drag us back into the world of politics all over again, but it's just like, you know, like Burger King bought like a Canadian donut company, so they could base their operations in Canada. Why? Because here we pay 30% corporate tax. There they pay 15. And they're like, that's unpatriotic to keep yourself, you know, like in Canada, to move your business to Canada. It's like, it's not unpatriotic. It's math. But Canada has lower taxes. Canada has socialized medicine where if you get cancer or break your leg, you're not totally on your own. And then the average Canadian is worth more than the average American. Like, you know, so 
as much as we make fun of their terrible, and I do mean terrible music, yeah. Um, the uh, <laughs> like, but uh, but I think those those exact those reasons are exactly why we don't like. But you know what's interesting about Canada and that like the the thing that makes America great is America is a, a nation based on breaking rules. Yeah, you know, like President. President George Washington drank a toast to the King of England every single night when we were going into battle to fight for uh, like our right to become a country, you know, and like, but he still respected the King of England. He drank a toast to him every single night, but he did. He broke the rules to do what was right. Rosa Parks, Abraham Lincoln, all these great Americans that have made American what they are, are rule breakers. There's a rule here, but you know what? It's not the right thing. So I'm going to do the right thing. And that's what we're based on as Americans. Whereas Canadians, man, you don't cross against a light. Like, oh, 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 heaven Segretzky. No, you can't cross when the light's not green. (laughs) Oh, the whole system will break down, don't you know? You know, so it's just like they they are, we are rule breakers and they are rule followers to the nth degree. And every single American that I've ever known that went to Canada went, it's a beautiful place. They have these lakes where you can see all the way to the bottom because the water's clear. They haven't fucked that up yet. Yeah. It's fantastic. Everybody has a little bit of money. If you get cancer, you can go to the hospital and get treated. There's something about Canada that works, but God, are they boring? You know, it's just like <laughs> it's just. And I think um, <clears throat> the, that's what makes America great and the worst, and then the great, and then the worst again. Yeah, the fact that we think like that. Yeah, because uh, it's what I tell people is like, uh, like uh, let's say uh, J Rose has a kid. Right, the kid is a—it's uh, a boy. And, let's uh, say it's a boy. Okay, and, like, and, Rose, and let's just stop to say congratulations on not firing blanks. <laughs> J Rose uh, is a boy, and and your and your wife is like, oh no no no, you gotta discipline him, and you gotta, and you're like, no no no, no. what up? Uh, throw a bunch of food on the floor, and you put him a bucket uh, on the corner, and uh, nature will take its course. Now, what kid is gonna be better adjusted, uh, more uh, not shooting himself, yeah. uh, all the time? And uh, you know, what I'm saying the kind of th- the kid that your your wife that wanted rules and regulations and some kind of structure, or just hey, kid, go fucking go nuts, you know? Like, and then people think, oh, why is America so crazy? Why is it? well because we want this rule of like utter and complete freedom. Yeah, this is what we do with it. We shoot each other. And Kim Kardashian is a multi billionaire. That's where t- utter and complete freedom gets us now. Mm-hmm. It started awesome, Benjamin Franklin and George Washington, and I mean, like th- that idea sounded great then. And it is now, and it is what it makes America, America. And I don't know what we would do about it. I don't want people, you know, locked up in prison for little shit and yeah. all this other stuff. But uttering complete freedom is not always such a great well, idea. All right, so here's my thing. As, <laughs> you know a, pa- as like, a parent, it is your job to give your kid the tools necessary to cope with life when you send them off into the world. And at some point, that's the goal. you must let go. Yes. I have this theory that the best thing you can do in this world is to be Scandinavian and then leave. Stay with me on this one. There's like Scandinavia. Continue. The Scandinavia in general, they they are generally viewed as being the happiest people on earth. You know, places like Denmark, Sweden, Norway. Okay, they, okay. They, I was going to ask you, where is Scandinavia? Like, I'm not it, sure. It's, yeah. So, it's, well, I mean, it's it's Denmark, Sweden, Norway. Those are all Scandinavian Dutch. countries. It's where all the chicks are hot and blonde. And, oh, so uh, that's the 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 bar maiden with the two huge beer things. That's Scandinavia. Is that the, what? Well, uh, that uh, no? the Saint Pauli girl. Yeah. Yeah. So that's oh. she's from Saint Paul, Minnesota, which yeah. is where uh, all the Norwegians went. Large-breasted women with beer that's right 
I'm with it. Correct. Um, See, they're happy. I prefer brunettes. But but, um, could, but here's the thing, it. and they're happy and nice. Yeah. And like, the, but the thing is, like, they're, they're the happiest people in the world. But like, and they they are completely looked after by the government, and in, in, in ways that we view as being just unbelievable. They're socialists, is what they are. I've got some really good friends in a band called New Politics who are awesome. They're really really cool, and uh, they're they're from, I think they're from Denmark, and. They are the ha- the most happy go lucky people. That is a co- that's a country where everybody's happy, everybody has enough, nobody goes without. Uh, yeah, I, I, look, that's a big blanket statement. There's pockets of awful there too, but you know, there's there's so many things. And like every single Swedish or Scandinavian kid I've ever met in my life has been really happy. I went to school with a bunch of them in England, and they were all super happy. And they all did things like got in at the ground level of the internet. You know, it's just like the you know, like hey, maybe we can use this internet thing to buy and sell things with. Oh look, I own half of the Western Hemisphere. This is pretty great. Yeah. yeah. You know, but the thing is, like, the taxes are so high. You're never going to have that great of a house, you know, like if you are a baller in a Scandinavian country, you're going to have an okay house. You might have like, you know, a 2002 Lexus with 175,000 miles on it and you'll be that ostentatious prick on the street with a fancy car. And like and so like that's how it is there because the taxes are so outrageously high, but everybody's happy and everybody kind of, you know, there's risk takers there. There's people that will do stuff because they kind of know that, you know, they fall down. The government's going to patch them up financially, physically and then like. But this band, New Politics, they're the most happy-go-lucky, gracious bunch of guys ever. But they're like, we had to get the fuck out of Sweden. We had to, uh, not Sweden, but we had to get the fuck out of Scandinavia and come here to do something because that lifestyle doesn't allow you to make your mark. It doesn't account for you to be an individual. So we had to come here having be uh, like, and, and make our mark in the world. And in a lot of ways, I think that's sort of what it's a it's a reasonably good analogy for our job as a parent and our job as Americans where we have to give people including our kids and including the people that are grown up in this country the tools to deal with that freedom and that you know like when when they become 18 we're get, you're going to you're going to grow up in in this land of opportunity but you're sunk if you don't know what to but, do but, with but it but let me say this <clears throat> those tools are there now they are those now now when you can literally look up any question, any answer to any question on your phone. Yeah. Like being ignorant, not be, you can libraries rent out books for free. So I hate this this excuse that people they don't have access to this or they didn't, they didn't grow up with the same um See, I used opportunities to- that you did. It's like I went to a fucking public school. I- you can't tell me that he and I don't have the same opportunities. He decided he, you know what I'm saying? Like and yes, the home takes a lot to do with the way you grow up and stuff, but eventually you become an adult and it's like time to take responsibility for what your actions are. And if you just want to be in your room getting high all day, that's your choice. Yeah. At the end of the day, you can very easily get up, be high and just turn on the computer and fucking, all I'm saying is those opportunities are there. So that excuse of like, oh, you know, we don't have the right tools or access to knowledge. Like yet now, today you do. I agree with you. But, and I'll tell you what, because like I'm the original pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you know, like, you you know, you want to do something, you got to go out and get it. No one's going to go out and get it for you. That's my mindset. And when I, when people would beg on the street, I'd be like, hey man, that could be me. But you know, I applied myself, you know, like people my age asking me for money. That's ridiculous. Well, yeah. And and that upsets me. Like, dude, really? And and there's this, like in in Houston where I I live sometimes, like there's this, uh, on the way from where I, I, my apartment is to the radio station, there's this one corner, there's always going to be a guy begging on it. 
And I would think like, come on, just, you know, go, uh, go get a job, do something, do like, this is like the, the most recession proof. This is Houston. They make the oil here. This is the most recession proof town in all the country at the moment. And, you know, there's more than enough opportunity for everyone. Get a job. And that's what I would think every single day as I drove by them. Now, that's not taking into account their mental status or whatever. They might have some serious problems that aren't being dealt with. And that's, you know, a blanket assumption. But what changed my mind was when I saw like a 10, 12-year-old kid begging on the street. I was like, oh, see, that's not okay. This kid has grown up thinking that if you want something, you go stand out on that corner by the freeway and you hold your hand out. And that's how he's being taught. He has such a narrow view of the world. He doesn't know any more than maybe like the two, three square miles that he's lived in for however long. And he just, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't know any better. And so when I say that we need to give people the tools necessary to make the most of the freedom that they have here, it's real. I'm not talking about the lazy guy, the Hesher that won't get off the couch. I'm I'm talking about a kid that literally doesn't know any better, that hasn't been given the shot because his parents are pieces of shit. Or maybe his parents grew up in the same circumstances he did and that's all he ever knew. Like, But it's just like that 10-year-old kid not knowing that there's a whole world out there that's there for the taking. You know, a 10-year-old kid here that, you know, has an education, like I, I'm... I'm I don't want to sound unsympathetic, but that 10-year-old kid at one point attended public school. And if not, he wasn't locked in a dungeon in his room. That's, he has interact. I'm saying nowadays where your TV is everywhere, where there's free, literally free books, free shit everywhere. It oh, is, yeah. It, it, I mean, if you're talk, talking to me about like the 7-year-old in TJ, the little Mexican kid who's selling gum, that kid is fucking selling gum at least. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Uh, they're, they're, oh, now we have to kind but of- But you know what? He's just fortunate enough to have grown up around some gum sellers as opposed to, you know, <laughs> I, it's I, just like- I, I suppose, you know, like, but, or, yeah. or he, singing. You, he, it, doesn't, it doesn't cost anything to sing. Hey, look at me. I'm dancing. Okay, here's some money. Instead of doing this. That well, everyone talks about those immigrants that are like, yo, the immigrants are taking a job and they're fucking selling oranges. Well, that little immigrant- Packed a fucking cart full of oranges, walked outside and said, five dollars an orange bag, blah, 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 instead of doing this you know, on the fucking side it, of the freeway. What's interesting, Ted Cruz said a little I'll, while I'll put, ago. I'll put in my hand out uh, as a trade. Yeah. It's a podcast. It's great. Yeah, yeah, no, no. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, maybe. Like, maybe the thing to do is so that 10-year-old kid, like, here's a case of chicklets. Break this up and sell them. Yeah, you know, that's it's just what like, we need to do, AD. Next time that, like, like a, 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 okay, yes, mental stability, I get it. There's the other, but let's say there's a dude asking, be like, look, here's a, a chiclet. We should carry chiclets in our car. Here's a, a case of chiclets. Go sell them instead of giving him money. Yeah, I guarantee. Oh, I'm gonna tell you a story, AD. I went to interview Sage Francis. Yeah, at, in LA. And afterwards, I, I listened to that interview. Thank you. Thank you. We're like high fiving each other, like yo, so dope. Let's go get something to eat. Awesome. We went to the Saddle Ranch. Saddle Ranch has this nice uh, hotel, and it's like right on Hollywood and Vine, like right smack in the middle of everything. You see, like uh, people with headsets and interns with coffee, just walk like right in the middle of Hollywood. And um, Saddle Ranch has this part where you eat outside. You can just eat, eat your meal outside, and we order food, and they bring you bread baskets of these like delicious cheese biscuits. And I'm eating them, and uh, here comes this bum, right? And he's like, yo, can I can I have some money? Can I have some money? And I'm like, you know what? I don't have any money, but look, take these cheese biscuits. They're free. They're going to give us a bunch. If you want to stick around, you can have all our cheese biscuits, right? He goes, you can do better than that. And he, and he walks away. Yeah. Case in point, fucking... 
take the fuck you know you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. because he saw a customer people giving him shit, dude. Here's the cause. You're hungry, right? That's why you're asking for money. Well, I mean, there are panhandlers that do like you know. 45 grand tax free I've heard year, you know that like, sounds amazing to I me. mean it's like you get a busy street corner in New York you can you can do pretty well you know anyways so you were panhandling in Switzerland or some shit I forgot right. where I yeah. mixed my stories so, uh, <laughs> no I grew up in I grew up in London for the so most you grew part. up in London back and forth between London and New York and then you came back to the states yeah I was in this band and we uh I mean I, I was in this band in high school and we got signed and then to whom uh, who who signed us? Yeah, who signed you? Uh, we were on Mercury in England, um, and then we did like, uh, then then sort of like we we started coming to America, yeah. and um, and we did then we got signed over here and mm-hmm. really kind of became based in America. So like we would travel back and forth, but for the Very most nice. part we were here. Um, yeah, and then, uh, yeah. But, uh, so when did radio come in? Radio came in when I needed a job because like. So, I mean, all I, like I got, <laughs> like my, I, my parents never let me forget this, but I got like a scholarship. I, I, uh, I got a scholarship to, uh, Tufts University and New England Conservatory of Music. Wow. Which is like, I like, see, I'd wanted to be, um, like it just, I played drums since I was like four years old uh-huh. and I was going to get my mom's a cellist, a classical cellist in uh, a symphony wow. orchestra. And so she had this vision of me being this classically trained musician. She, I was like, I want to rock. And she was like, well, yes, but you know, there's all these things that you can do to, uh, there's all these things that you can do with your classical music education and, and that'll serve you well in, in all these ways. So like I would, but I would, you know, talking about kids that were working, I actually was working. My mom, I remember like my mom, like for all the chores and stuff that I didn't do, like I got a proportional amount of my allowance taken away and because i was wow. like this crazy ass kid with like add and ocd and never really got anything done at all ever um i never did the stuff that i was supposed to do in a timely fashion so i never got any of my allowance but i would like teach drum lessons during my during my lunch break yeah at school and then i would i would play like ho- hotels like jazz music on the weekends and like so i was like i don't need your five pounds i've you know, made like 150 bucks this week. I'm good. So like, and I, I learned real quick. I was like, Oh wow. You can make money playing music. That's, that's cool. I like that. And, um, and so like I, I, uh, I was going to go to new England conservatory music to be a classical musician. I had a free ride there cause I got like, um, I got a, a really good, SAT scores like I won like a national merit scholarship or something Holy like that shit, AD. like and um it, it sounds more impressive than it is because like honestly I ran out of time and just filled out all the boxes randomly and you got I lucky was, I think I got lucky yeah um so like the uh <laughs> Senorita, whoop a blowing up the tweeter, cause it's me up in the speaker. Back in the mama seat, a top down like a player, and the sound up in your ears, it is the dopest rhyme. Say I run a game like a cheater, I'm balling like they're a cheater. Complete on the marathon, I mean the very last reader. Competition defeated, cause yo, my voice is just sweeter. So come on, follow the leader, plus I got the dopest of sneakers. Fuck the rest, I'm the best, there's no question. Fuck the rest, and you know. Fuck the rest, I'm the best, there's no question. 
nobody has ever been better, smarter, more clever. I'm winning every endeavor in competition. No, you never see a better competitor. Every fight of endeavor till a head has been seven. I'm the best if there is. I wake up and piss excellence. And if you're coming to battle on your house, I put a vessel I'm just here to have a little fucking fun, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm second to none. Fuck the rest, I'm the best, there's no question. Fuck the rest, and you know. Fuck the rest, I'm the best, there's no question. Are you ready to go? You know, you're like the Forrest Gump of radio. I don't yeah. know if that's a good thing. I, I, what I'm saying is, like, you're, you're, you're. If like, if you're reaching for a compliment, <laughs> reach harder. <laughs> um, uh, uh, you love Dr. Pepper, so no. What I'm are, saying is, are you sure is, you're not confusing me with Rain Man? Uh, no, you're Forrest Gump, but what I mean is, like, a like your really? story, your Forrest life. Forrest Gump? Are you sure? Hey, Forrest I really want to see how was, this goes. Okay, your story is very movie-like-ish, like. You know, like you, you have an interesting life that's kind of following you down. Uh, write a book, Ad. You, that's what you need to do. You know, write a book. I think. Write a book. And, and Funkhauser keeps telling me I need to write a. You book. need to write a book. Well, and I, and I always thought it was impossible. Like I was like writing a book. How do you sit down and write a book? And they told me what your hero, um, Adam, Adam Carolla, does, Absolutely. which is he just has a guy go, "Hey, that rant on this was interesting. Here's a transcription of it. Put that in your book. You yep. know, tune and it up. Can put you it in your book. speak? A, give a little background on the rant." that kind of thing yeah and you have a book and dude that's what you do for a living yeah yeah you know and like uh, like Funkhauser was like if you do it the way Adam Carolla did you probably could crank out a book every year the way yeah. he does yeah. without really having to sit down and write too much I was like ooh that's that's kind of cool and 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 uh, the beauty of uh, <clears throat> Adam Carolla you people like us is we don't save like he says I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a joke uh, warehouse right I don't I'm a joke factory I just re- I just let go stuff and you and me just we just talk and yeah. dude, I, people tell me like oh dude that was so funny what you said to blah 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 and I'm like dude I don't remember saying that because yeah. it's all spontaneous yeah and that's what's gonna keep you fresh and I but I I'm saying uh, about the book is you're you've led a very interesting life as opposed to like your normal average citizen do you know what I'm saying I been places and done stuff yeah. but like really it's not not you know you. I, i'm i'm a fairly dull individual like <laughs> other people would have done a lot more with the experiences they've been afforded like sure. you know like i i never you know i never really like i never like i'm straight edge so i don't smoke drink or take drugs or believe in casual sex and you know so like you know you don't are, believe in casual sex what does that mean it means i don't uh think it's a good idea 
I don't to have think... sex with strangers. Yeah, yeah. I don't well, think I mean, it's... complete. Strangers. And it's a personal thing, and I like I'm not super judgmental about it with yeah. any of this stuff. It just it's right for me. You know, it's just like I I decided a long time ago that there's a lot on this earth that I want to accomplish. I've got a limited number of minutes before I check out and sure. I don't need anything slowing me down. Like and AIDS. for and uh, like AIDS, you know, <laughs> yeah, AIDS would slow you down a little bit. That would be a little bit of a hitch in your giddy up hey, if you yeah, don't I put a put a wrench in your uh <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's like I don't need AIDS. I like I, but like also like you know. I could do without AIDS. Yeah, I, I'm with I, that. I could do without the AIDS. Um, <laughs> I could do without the AIDS. Even you know, like I'll go one step better than that. I don't need any itchy, burning sensations in an intimate area. Thanks. Right. You know, it's just like yeah. I don't. That's that's you know. So I didn't, I didn't want anything slowing me down with that stuff. So like you know, there's all these you know. Stories but you didn't want to get laid though, right? Yeah, but I like you so know. So then it happened. It was like okay, so uh, so were you? When did, I was a kid, did you always have a girlfriend? Th- but this is the thing. When I was a kid, I was so principled because you're a principled little shit when you're 16 years old because you don't know any better. It was very interesting. I was listening to that interview that you did with Afro, and you're like, you didn't go through all these struggles and stuff that you know, like other people did, right? And therefore you're not a fully formed MC, or you you've missed out on some of the good stuff that makes people what they are. Yeah, and. And in a little, in, in, in kind of a way, I agree with that. But the, I interviewed the guys in Muse the other day, wow. and I was like, "You might not remember this, but when I was like seventeen, and you guys were like seventeen, we played a show together." And they're like, "the the drummer in my old band used to be the drummer in this English ska band called Madness, and he was, you know, like in England, they're a really big deal. They had that song like Our House in the Middle of Our Street. street those guys, so they're like huge in England." And everybody English knows who the hell they are. And um, th- like, I was like, you might not remember this. And like, Stone Me, were you in a band with Woody from Madness? Yeah, we totally remember you. Like, they remembered the show that we played at this basement dungeon club in like in in, in nineteen ninety eight or whenever it was. And um, when when we were teenagers, and like. And we played to them and they played to us and everyone was like, that must have been amazing. I was like, not really. Nobody showed up. But Muse <laughs> seemed good. And I remember right. looking at them going, I think I think something might happen with these Muse guys. Here they are selling out stadiums in the round, like, right, you know, right. stadiums full of adoring fans. But, but I talked to them about it. I was like, they make this really weird, challenging music, this progressive rock with difficult themes to get your head around and all this sort of stuff that should not on paper be successful. But that's what they wanted to be when they were 16. And because they were 16, they believed they could do it. You know, they hadn't been beaten down by life. They weren't 25. They didn't move out. Mm. They didn't realize that the world wasn't going to align to their wishes. Like, right, right, And right. because they had that optimism and that youthful passion behind it, it, you know, like it worked for them and it drove them into something. And it, like and and so I think that, you know, like if, if something does happen for you when you're young and you're not you know, a weak-minded person. You don't necessarily have to implode. Something really good can can come of it. All I meant, and uh, I hope I didn't come off as dickish. It was more of a like a, it was more like a, a forewarning for him to be like, look, you, because he hasn't built the catalyst or the 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 um the callus back and the the thought of like. Uh, he's he's going to have to learn all these things on very large stages as opposed to like upcoming MCs that have to learn them in individual stages with people that don't really matter. You know what I'm saying? They, they can, there's always the next show. There's always the next show. Yeah. Here he's thrown literally into like hip hop royalty. Yeah. Uh, especially independent. Like he's not going to get a second chance to 
give a first impression to Vinny Paz or yeah, you, to you, you know, RZA. It was funny when you were talking about that. Like it reminded me of uh, like I, re- I remember a friend of mine back in the day when I was like couch surfing in New York City when I was a kid in a band. A friend of mine signed Royce the Five Nine, who was supposed to be yeah. like this big deal, yeah. which completely failed to happen. Right. And now he's kind of a, the punchline to a lot of people's jokes. Yeah. But it's just you know, it just he might have been very talented. It just didn't like the planets didn't align for him. And and you know. It could go like that, or it could go like Muse, or it could go like Lincoln Park. We were signed and managed by the same people that looked after Lincoln Park, wow. and they'd kind of never really played live before they got their record deal. It right. wasn't a thing, and it's yeah. just like usually you have to go out and you have to play to clubs and you have to like you know build who you are that way. And you know with Lincoln Park, it didn't really matter. They yeah, just... but Lincoln Park had a machine behind them. Here's Afro, who's literally on tour by himself with strangers which is already yeah. I mean he doesn't he's not he doesn't know him all his life it's only been like about a year year yeah. two so oh, at the end I of the day I just realize I'm holding this mic like a rapper and it's probably gonna sound terrible I hope podcast. not because there's like I've got it like right up against my face <laughs> and I'm cupping the thing and be like uh, your level sounded okay I wasn't right. into it, but I hold on anyways uh, I wish him the best all I'm saying is Afro needs to understand the gift that he's been given because very easily when he's 20 he could be like you know what eh. see but the, the thing the thing the thing about afro is as to opposed me, to a rapper who, who worked his way like oh he works so hard that he's gonna get that and like kind of embrace it a lot more than someone who's like 17 here you go not even one album album and here's this he's he could very easily decide later on in life that's not what he wants to do he's only 17 see all right so i want to <laughs> like let me the but let's close off I, on I, afro I'm gonna, because, I'm, uh, well no no i'm gonna say something that sounds very arrogant now, okay and it is sort of part of my story as well okay let's hear it. like you might not think if you listen to like the the goofy rap records i make now in my spare time that i'm all that but when I was in my band, one of the biggest contenders for our to, to try and sign us was like Tommy Boy, this legendary hip hop player. Yeah, absolutely. And they were like, you're the greatest rapper on the face of the planet. This was like about a year before Eminem came out. They're yeah. like, you're white and you can actually rap. This means big money. So we're going to put out your rock record and then we're going to just really make you a rapper. That's what the, the plan was. And I was like, I will never sell out my brothers in music that way. I will go. And we wound up signing with A&M, which was another really good deal. And it just so it, it was fine. But like I'm a, like at the time I was kind of like a serious rapper, you know, like that's what I, I did. I used to go battle all the time and I used to, you know, like that was it was a big deal. I feel like you or I could listen to someone like Ari the Rugged Man. I feel like you or I could listen to a, a lot of people. And and if we put enough work into it, if we sat down with a pen and a pad and, and wrote the lyrics and, and practiced them and got like, I feel like I could do what Ari does. I feel like I could do what Eminem does. I feel like I could do, not necessarily copping their styles, but, you know, pound for pound, I think, you know, people that really apply themselves, if you've got the time to sit in the lab making yourself great, you could do that. There's other people like Karis One. There's other people like Chuck D. There's people that have something that was given to them from somewhere else, and that is just something that needs to be heard. And I think for me, Afro falls into that category. It's like it's like a, he's like he he is sort of he is like Rain Man. He there's no reason. I mean, like he had this incredible gift, and then he he honed it by just rapping about things that he would see in front of him every single day. And I think he's when I when I saw him, I was just like ah. Oh, 
no amount of practice will ever make me that. I cannot <clears throat> stress this enough because I have no doubt in my mind that one day there's going to be a huge, like, Afro's going to be humongous. Afro's going to be the next big, the big thing because he's already gotten to where he's at. Can, can you imagine Afro with the right management three years from now? Like, Afro's going to be like the next Eminem as in like there's going to be like a movie made out of him and there's gonna he's going to be touring the world. I, I know it for a fact and I'm very proud to even be like a little bit uh-huh. part of that history him him being on the show and we knew afro beforehand he was just a local mc and yeah he came to our is he from california yeah, yeah. okay I, he, I, he came to our master ace meeting green we have the i mean we knew of afro afro which is a local dude who that oh but, really yeah but even then he wasn't rocking shows right. he didn't he wasn't on he never did it really appeared into anything but he is absolutely very gifted and talented yeah so um, he's better than a lot of people starting off. Even a lot of people that have been doing it for years, he's way yeah. better than a lot of them. So, and I have no doubt in my mind he's going to be a superstar. Like he's going to grow the up. The thing be that dope. sealed it for me wasn't just the you know like going you know on Queen Latifah and rapping about stuff that she pulled out of the box. The yeah. thing that sealed it for me was seeing uh, live footage of him that a buddy of mine shot uh-huh. at. Um, I think he was he played South by Southwest in Austin this big music conference and. It was insane. It was insane. I was like, holy freaking God, he's so good live as well. And I was just like, but good in a way that is good in a way that is is it's like otherworldly. It's such a, a focus and sense of purpose. And it's he just, has it. Yeah, he has it. And I don't think he necessarily will be the biggest rapper in the world. I don't know if I, you know, you look at him, you see the type of music he likes to make. I don't think he's going to sell his ass out and try and make pop hits and make I, the horrible hip hop records that are like on the radio staple. now. He'll be mentioned know. like Method Man and, and, and you know, yeah. be real. Like he'll just be mentioned as one of the, hottest rappers right now i think he'll have a have a career yeah absolutely for as long as he wants it. we usually only spend about 45 minutes on afro on the show you know right. what I'm saying? usually on the daily episode we only do about 45 minutes <laughs> we're running a little long. but ad before we close out we got to do the 12 rounds hey, it's concept here and i wanted to let you guys know that this is a two-parter episode so uh, if you look to your right on wakethefuckup.net, you will find the second half of this episode. We went to a beautiful location down in our heart radio in San Diego. And uh, I, I mean, it was just, it was an amazing experience. And uh, the interview ran long, but I could not cut any, any bit of it off at all. It was just a fantastic interview. So go ahead and download the second half of this episode available um, the same day that this is. So go ahead and check it out and uh, let us know what you think. I can't wait for you guys to get to know AD a little better. He is uh, responsible for me achieving one of my one of my dreams, which is uh, to be in a real, um, true uh, a radio station behind the boards and, uh, and starting my career there. So uh, I'll be forever grateful uh, to him for that. So go ahead and check it out. This is part one. Uh, check out part two. Peace. Yeah. <laughs>